was a way to make your Eastern Conference final debut. Mr. Trey Young, doing it again. Guy I like to call Mr. Game One. He is a road warrior, guys. A road warrior. So much so that I wrote an article on basketballnews.com the morning that I recorded this. He is just absolutely crushing it. Trey Young. Shout out to John Collins, by the way. Doing all the dirty work. Getting the offensive rebounds. Making the big-time threes that Trey's finding. When he's not floating. When he's not hitting those step-backs. When he's not shimmying in people's faces. This kid is a third-year player. He didn't make the All-Star game. And damn it, he's making everyone pay for it. What's up, guys? Spencer Davies. Brian Fritz. Back with you again on Keep It In 94 as a part of the basketballnews.com podcast network. I have absolutely loved the way that these conference finals have started. Trey Young's not the only one that's doing this stuff. Devin Booker, another guy making his Western Conference Finals debut. Without his backcourt partner, longtime all-star Chris Paul is doing the things that Chris Paul usually does. And then adding his own game to that. So you've got two budding superstars right now. If you look at the ratings, which you should not care about, but if you look at the ratings, they're good. And you know, that's a good thing. Because the NBA needs to market these guys. The NBA has talent on its hands. Not named LeBron James. Not named Kevin Durant. Not a super team. These are just studs. And they're young studs. And I'm loving it. I'm absolutely loving it. You're loving it because you're a young stud yourself. So one young stud loving other young studs. I get it. I don't know, man. I'm one year away from 30. I don't know how much you call that a young stud. In NBA years, I would be like right in my prime, about to exit my prime. You know what you'd be ready for is your third contract, and it's the cash-in year, so that's where you would be. Okay, that's fair, that's fair. We will get into the conference finals a little later in the show. We'll also get into the latest coaching news later in the show. Thursday morning, Rick Carlisle hired to the Indiana Pacers. It'll be his second time as the head coach of this franchise. His third go-round, actually, because he was an assistant in the late 90s with this organization. But we'll get into Rick. We'll get into the scuttlebutt over with Becky Hammond and Chauncey Billups and Mike D'Antoni being with the Portland names. We'll get into Ime Udoka being hired by the Boston Celtics. All that good stuff. We'll get into that later. But the ping-pong balls have spoken. The lottery is determined. The draft order is set. How fun. The Detroit Pistons, they get number one. Ben Wallace sitting there with a stoic look on his face. Nothing else. No good luck charms. Nothing. Just Big Ben sitting there with his gray beard. Looking all tough always. And the Pistons end up with number one, which in turn, probably means they end up with Cade Cunningham, the runaway top prospect of the 2021 draft class. 
all signs point to Cade Cunningham being that guy. In fact, I believe Cunningham has set up one workout and said, this is the only one I'm going to have. It will only be with the Pistons, and I'm not working out for anybody else. So I think they might as well have just brought a jersey, you know, that that said, you know, Cunningham on the back of a Pistons jersey with them. But I can only imagine, and you watch this every year, and especially this year because of the ramifications from the standpoint that you talk to different people and they'll tell you, like, you know, it's a deep draft, but it's four players or five players, whoever you're depending on before the first drop-off and the ramifications when it comes to other teams moving up in this because of, you know, previous trades that they had made, but it was gripping to watch it. And um, it had to be very gripping for people sitting there, including, I think we got the, uh, the official uh, Jeff Weltman deadpan face after Orlando magic um, dropped you know, a couple of spots and didn't end up in the top three like we wanted. Um, everybody else tried to keep it cool. You watch Ben Wallace, who every time was just like, yeah, yeah. Like, you, we couldn't have been a happier guy watching Ben out there. Quite quite the a couple of months for Ben Wallace, Hall of Fame, and now uh, helping his uh, Pistons get the uh, number one pick in the draft. Absolutely. And you mentioned the teams that dropped and the teams that mm-hmm. moved up. Happy for the Raptors. They had a season from hell last year. They ended up getting the number four overall pick. So good for them. You know, I've got to mention the Cavs, uh, you know, three straight years with some pretty bad lottery luck. Uh, I know that a lot of people have this misconception because of what happened in the early 2010s. Yes, they got the number one pick back to back years. And yes, they probably butchered the number one pick in back-to-back years. Andrew Wiggins is a pretty solid player. I'm not going to kill him on that one. But he was used to acquire Kevin Love, and they won a championship. Anthony Bennett, yeah, he's not in the league. He's been in the G League uh, quite a bit. Probably not going to pan out to be a number one pick worthy guy, right? Was he ever really in the league? <laughs> Listen, Anthony's a really nice guy. I'm not going to go go crazy on, on yeah. him. Uh, and he had he had some... Uh, you know, physical, you know, limitations and some some things like that. So, yeah, they had that. And then the next time they were in the lottery, they got the number eight overall pick. And that was supposed to be a high pick because it was the Brooklyn Nets, but they ended up with number eight. Spencer Dinwiddie really, you know, crushed that season. But, you know, beside the point, the Cavs have had the fifth overall pick, the fifth overall pick, and the eighth overall pick in the last three years. And the last two years, they've had the second worst record straight. And fell three spots. So they go from number five to number three this time around. The coin flip did not make a difference. They had a coin flip with the the Thunder. And whoever had heads or tails, you know, got the got a certain spot. That didn't have to do anything with the draft order, actually. What did have to do with the draft order is if Kevin Love and the Cavs did not beat the Boston Celtics in that late game they would be picking number six where the Oklahoma City Thunder are. So the basketball gods paid them a little bit of a tribute and gave them some slack. And now they're going to be in a position to select either Jalen. They're in a position to select Evan Mobley. I think that's a win. Then you look at what happened to the Timberwolves. Oh, talk about getting the shaft. So the Warriors ended up with their pick because it fell out. What was it? The top three? It was protected. top three protected, but yep. 
I think Golden State was prepared to give it up. I mean, it, it wasn't like it was the Warriors got the number four pick or something like that. And then I think the Wolves would really be like, oh, my God, this is horrible. <laughs> but number seven, it, it still stings. It's a top 10 pick, and this is one of the deepest drafts that there's been in a couple of years. So I don't know. I'm still feeling probably a little salty, especially because the Warriors have two picks in the lottery. Now you think about it, it's the back end of the lottery in the middle of the lottery, but there's still two lottery picks. And so you you don't know if they're going to use them too. That's the other thing. That's the thing. I think for a team like Golden State, it's more of a win now mode. You know, who knows if they package both of them or they package them in separate deals. They've got the firepower to do some different things here um, and make, make some other trades to get a player that can probably help them a little bit more now, unless they do want to go with the younger guy. And who knows, maybe they trade one pick. Maybe, maybe uh, they trade them both. We'll have to see. I mean, you talk about teams that didn't get really what they wanted out of this. Orlando had to be stinging thinking that they were going to finish. They were going to get at least one pick in the top three or top four, the worst, but probably top three. And instead, you know, they slide down. They're at number five and they're at number nine. And the other team, you know, are the Oklahoma City Thunder because not only did they end up moving down to number six, they didn't get lucky with the Rockets. And um, if the Rockets had not, you know, landed in the top four, I believe it was, that pick would have conveyed to the Thunder as well. So, um, you know, that was uh, that was the basketball gods kind of enacting some revenge on a team that was uh, super tanking there. Um but it's not like Oklahoma City doesn't have like, you know, 17 more picks, you know, or in the uh, however many more years or whatever it is. So, I mean, Oklahoma City, if they really want uh, to make a move higher up, they've got the ammunition to do it as well with all of the different picks that they have. Brian, we got to be team players here. Basketballnews.com 2021 NBA mock draft is live. Matt Babcock and his team have put together a comprehensive list, not only of the players that are going to go to the teams, but analysis of those players going to those teams. So go to basketballnews.com right now, guys. I'm not going to give it away, but he's got all of the picks, one through 60, on basketballnews.com slash draft. So make sure you go pay that attention because it's draft season, guys. I just started doing combine interviews today, and it was a great feeling. It's not in person. I'm hoping that I'm in Chicago next year in May, like usual. But it is nice, a little semblance of normalcy, talking to the soon-to-be rookies. Uh, if I did have to make one note, I, I would say that uh, Io Desonmu uh, probably had the most authentic personality uh, of the guys that I talked to today. Isaiah Livers. Uh, was also a very good guy to talk to. Herb Jones from Alabama, really nice, nice kid. Um, so we'll be looking at what their stock looks like. But uh, just a few notes uh, from what I talked today. Corey Kispert, another one uh, that was a very, very good dude. Uh, so we will see where they end up in this draft. But overall, just seeing the lottery again, seeing all the the faces, the, the happy faces and the, the pissed off faces were great. Um, oh, Jeff Waltman, I thought was going to... Uh eat his face off because he was so he he could not hide the disappointment you know for the magic but you know when i look at this and without going too deep in it because we got plenty of time between now and the actual draft but when you look at the order and the way that it is right now and kind of where 
the projections are, and that, that can change a lot outside of like Cunningham, who everybody expects to go number one, like we said. But I think there's some opportunities for some from trades here because, you know, I look at the Cavs, and if Evan Mobley is off, already off the board, if he goes number two, then you're probably looking at a guard and their backcourt is kind of set unless they want to move one of their guys in their backcourt. So maybe there's trade possibility there and maybe Cleveland would be happy to move down to get some more assets. I, I think with Toronto, you know, you want to replace your, you know, Kyle Lowry there. You're going to have an opportunity to do it. Maybe you got some other things you can do. Orlando, um, maybe they package those two picks. Maybe they want to move up if there's a guy that they really like. Um, for Houston, you bring in Mobley, if that's the guy that they like there, number two. You've already got Christian Wood, and do those two guys work together on the court? I, I think when you are a team that is deficient in talent, you don't worry about position and just say, let me get the guy that I like the most. I don't care what the position is, and we'll make it work. We'll figure it out. And that could be an interesting you know, one, two, to see if that actually works if they went with Mobley or what they were going to do past that. Um you know, there, there's a lot of questions. I mean, I, th- I think there's some other teams that could could possibly move down as well or could move up. Um, I, I'm going to be curious to see what happens. I mean, we you always wonder if, if teams are going to be open for business, if they're willing to move down, especially when there's a draft that's going to be this, you know, talented as we expect. But um, at the same time, the, there's so many other teams that, that do have packages, I think, that they could – do something and it's just kind of the way that everything shakes down and what, what talent is available and when to where maybe maybe it makes this one a little bit more open to some possible moves no question no question i think that's the fun about the draft because it's the unknown it's the unknown you know and, what the weirdest uh, thing, the thing is looking at the year. draft i'm seeing the san antonio spurs right there for a lottery pick that is weird yeah they had one last year I know. Well, it was weird last year too. It's still weird. Yeah. Cause they yeah. went so long, you know, the other, I mean, also seeing golden state have two picks in the lottery. And like you said, I mean, it's seven and 14. So one's at the very back end. That's kind of strange, but, um, Hey, Toronto. Hey, you know, like you said, like, uh, for all the injuries and for paying the ultimate price, having to spend an entire season playing on, not in your home court, but somewhere else. And in Tampa, Florida, of all places, um, you're rewarded by moving up in the draft and getting the fourth overall pick. Basketballnews.com slash draft. Go right now, guys. And you can continue to listen to us because we're going to start getting into other things. Like what happened last night. Kind of said it in the intro. Kind of said it in the intro, but Trey Young. Holy hell, dude. I didn't even say his line in the beginning of this. 48 points, 11 assists, seven boards, a steal, 10 of 12 at the line, 17 of 34 from the field. Holy hell, dude. Like, I'm watching this, and, you know, Milwaukee starts to run away with it. They're, I think, up five or up seven with, like, four minutes left in the uh, fourth quarter. You know, uh, I think Giannis uh, was was running away. By the way, I'm going to totally get into this. But uh, when Giannis is rolling and he's the lob threat, that's when he's at his best. Just saying. Not when he backs up 10 feet and tries to supercharge into you and go into the to the basket. But 
I digress. Going back to Trey. Trey's not even shooting the ball that great, dude. Like, he's not even shooting the three that great. But he's making the meaningful ones. And he's getting past guys. He's throwing lobs. He's using floaters. <laughs> he put one off of the backboard to John Collins for an alley-oop yesterday. And if they didn't count that as an assist, well, they're wrong. I don't know. I don't know how else to, to describe it, Brian. But the, the way that I said it in my article, because he's such a road warrior and he is a tone setter for these series so far. And I've never seen this before. He's getting F-bombs hurled his way. You know, he is, you know, eliciting such reactions from these crowds that he feeds off of. When is the last time that an underdog was the villain? It's been a while. I mean, the player that a lot of people equate trade to when it comes to embracing being a villain is Reggie Miller. And that's going back a few years as well. And, and Reggie even talked about, you know, during uh, the pregame of the broadcast on Wednesday night. And I even saw the sit-down interview that the TNT crew did with, with Trey. And they asked, like, what do you like more? Hitting a big shot at home or hitting a big shot on the road? And, you know, he gave the, you know, the proper answers. Like, man, it's tough. You know, I, I like them both. There is something to be at home in the crowd. But, you know, it, it's also great when, you know, place gets quiet. I'm like. We know what the answer is. He loves shutting the bell. He loves it. He embraces it. He feeds off of it. And that's the right attitude. And the thing that you see from Trey Young, all those things that you said, and that he is the leader of this team. And at the beginning of the year, there weren't there were a lot of questions about that. And there was a lot of people upset going, is he really the leader of this team? Is he doing the right things on the, this team really needs, especially with an improved roster? And that was even at a time where some of the guys were still out. But as the season went on, some things were said about him by teammates. I think they had a come-to-Jesus moment with that team. And then you had the coaching change on top of that. And you could see it coming together, you know, as the year went on and to where they're at this point now. And at this point now, Trey Young's confidence is at an all-time high. And his team feeds off of that. Because he knows, yeah, I'm going to be the primary scorer, but I'm going to be the primary facilitator. I'm going to be the guy that makes the engine you know, roar here. And that's exactly what he's done. And everybody has fed off of that. He's making the right decision at the right time. Sure, he took 34 shots in game one. The Hawks are a little bit banged up as well, but he hit half of his shots. You know, he hit 10 or 12 free throws. He put up 48 points and he led the comeback. As well, because even though this team was down, you look at they were down seven points with 418 to go. And instead of folding, they went on a 17 to eight run. He hit four free throws in the final 30 seconds, final 20 seconds, in fact. That um, and one that he had was ridiculous. Yes. The, the one he was fading to the left and threw yeah. up a, a prayer and it went in. Oh, yeah. my gosh, that was beautiful. But I mean, you, you talk about the confidence that this guy has. Just you could see it with every time he goes to the rim and he's throwing up these floaters that passing through off the backboard, the alley-oop. That was ridiculous. And that was a guy, between that and the shoulder shimmy before the three, and that was a guy who was just sticking it in the other team's face. 
He really was. And he, he's like, I don't care. I'm going to stick it in your face because he has so much confidence right now and he's coming through and his team wants it and it needs it because this is a Hawks team that, that feeds off it so much, man. And I mean, and they are banged up right now. Even, you know, Bogdanovich is out there playing with the knee injury. They don't, you don't look the same. You don't, yeah. man. It's sad, you know, and you wonder what, but you're, I'm sitting there the entire game going into it going, man, they still don't have Hunter back and now, you know, bogey's banged up and stuff. And Trey's like, I got it. I got it. And everybody else kind of picks up off of that. You know, Collins is, you know, hit shots, you know, Herter's playing better as well, you know, or he, you can see the confidence in his game as well. Um, but man, that, that little line of disrespect, I thought for Trey young, what you, what you done on purpose? Like you're doing that shoulder shimmy before you hit the shot. I mean, come on. That's that, that, that's just crazy. And, and by the way, for, for the bucks, once again, it's so frustrating watching the bucks. It's just like, how do you continue to make, simple mistakes and allow these guys. I'm not saying you'd shut them down or anything like that, but you're giving them too many different easy opportunities for stuff, including even though he only played six minutes, Jeff Teague refusing to go over top of a screen every time and allowing Trey young to get going in this game, because for whatever reason, Jeff Teague thought it was a good idea to go underneath screens. I mean, it's just a small thing, but it's something that's an obvious thing. You're not necessarily going to stop them, but I, that helped get uh, Trey Young cooking in that game. And also, you know, the bigs not wanting to step, step up, up. Yeah. Because they are they are dropping. And so Trey is saying, oh, I've got a wide open three. Or, oh, I can, you know, he's even had some pull-up mid-rangers, uh, you know, in the first the first game. And that's typically uh, something that he's not going to do, especially because of his height. No. Nope. So he, he's just like, I'm just going to throw up these little teardrops. You, you want me mm-hmm. to do floaters all game? I'll do floaters all game. I'm the master of the floater. And when he does that, it disguises it so that John Collins or Clint Capella can just jump up for him. And what do you know? Lo and behold, it's easy shots, easy shots, easy shots, easy shots. And I think the, the Bucks will figure that out. I, I think that Drew played an excellent game yesterday. I think that Drew did a decent job on Trey. I think Drew found um, a little bit of something. I made a joke on Twitter. I said he saw so many pull-ups in the series against the Nets that he's like, okay, maybe this will work for me. <laughs> so he made so many pull-up jumpers. Um, you know, Chris Middleton off, off day. Uh, it, that seems to be the theme with him in game ones. I'm not any bit of concerned with Chris Middleton at all. I know he's going to find it. He's not going to go 0 for 9 from 3, and he's not going to go 6 for 23 from the field. That's not Chris Middleton. We know how good he is, uh, and he's proven it. Uh, on the biggest stage against the Nets, as we saw in game seven. So I'm not going to to say, you know, anything about that because I just think that's an outlier performance. I think he might be tired, whatever it might be. Um, but Milwaukee cannot but yeah. shoot eight of 36 from three-point no, range, and no. they cannot allow the Hawks to hit 50% of their shots, which no. they hit just a shade under. So, I mean, those are the two things. It's like, we got to shoot from deep better and we got to hold them better. I mean, they the Hawks only hit 25% of their threes as well, but, I mean, they hit almost half of their shots overall. You know, so, I mean, that, yeah. that's something that... Um, Big time punch from Danilo Gallinari and uh, Solomon Hill off of that bench too. I uh-huh. thought that, that they had a good game. And Solomon Hill just randomly going up for a dunk. Didn't expect that one. Just saying. Nobody did, <laughs> but yeah, for, for the bucks, I think that, you know, it just goes back to shot making. I don't think that, you know, Atlanta's doing anything particularly suffocating on the defensive end. I know that they're a better defensive team under Nate McMillan and they certainly execute 
uh, under five minutes to go in the game as, as you know, my piece from back in April, I think it was, uh, you know, detailed. Um, but the Bucks, I, I have a feeling they're just going to, they're going to bounce back in game two. I don't think that the Hawks are going to take the first two in this series. Um, but they're, you know, they've, they've got a little bit of their hands full because uh, the Hawks, uh, we've said this time and time again with these types of teams that they know they're not supposed to be there. And when they're there, they're playing with house money. And when you're playing with house money, that's a dangerous, dangerous team. I mean, they're playing with such confidence, but they're also playing so loose. And the other- and they didn't even play particularly well in that game. Right. So that's the that's the that's the, the the scary part. I think the frustrating part with the Bucks too is like this keeps happening to them, and you wonder about the mental toll. I mean, the playoffs are already mentally tough enough, but then you keep putting yourself in this position. And some of it's going to be because you've got Giannis, you've got a team that on paper looks better. You should be the favorites. Why aren't you taking care of business? You go back to even the Brooklyn series, like, Hey, they're without Kyrie, you know, Harden's out there on one leg. Why are you having so much trouble? Why did it have to come down to a game seven in overtime? Why do you have to go to these great lengths to get the job done rather than just, getting it done. And now once again, I mean, it's only one game, but they lost game one on their home four in a winnable game that they were leading in late, that they took control of late and they allowed the Hawks to go on a massive run to close out the game. I was so proud of coach bud though. He decided to go small and he put Giannis at the five. He's using him as a roller and as a lob threat. And that's when they were doing their damage. If you didn't notice when Chris Middleton had the ball in his hands, when drew holiday had the ball in his hands, Coming off of that screen, that screen uh, or a slip, whatever it might have been, Giannis just got these hammer time alley-oops. I think there was like three possessions in a row in the fourth quarter where it happened. So they see the formula when they're not making shots. They see the formula. Can they stick to the formula? That is the question. At least he's starting to play. And you Giannis, know, Giannis-, Giannis was passing the ball really well yeah. in that game too. At least Giannis is playing more than 35 minutes a game now. I'm telling you, Bud's learning a little bit. He's learning a little bit. I don't think you could particularly... The one gripe you could have had yesterday was drawing up the final shot for Pat Connaughton. That was not... That was, that was the, and that, and that was in the waning seconds. Uh, that was probably the gripe you could have with, with Bud. I don't think his rotations were bad at all. He gave Bobby Portis over 15 minutes, and he was extremely effective in the first half. Probably should have saw a little bit more time in the second half. Maybe not the closing lineup, but um, I I think that Bud definitely uh, you know learned from his mistakes. Um, I don't know you know if he's a super adjustment guy, but I think that you're starting to see him budge a little bit, and I think that's also because I you know he knows that you know win or lose that his job might be on the line. Well, their life would be so much easier if Chris Middleton would just play like Chris Middleton and yep, hit shots. Yep. I mean, and that, that, he's that gonna he so will. much easier. Brian, I will put my I will put money on the line. He will. He's just for some reason these game ones don't go his way. Whatever Trey Young is in game ones is the opposite for for Chris Middleton. That you was know, weird. Chris, I mean, over nine takes from a three minute. point range. I mean, come on, he, he's yeah. better than that. Well, look at what happened in Brooklyn the first two games, and then he turned it on, right? Yeah. And if you look at what happened against the Heat. Um, in, you know, the first game of that series, like it's just, it's this thing for Chris where maybe he just needs a little bit of time to settle in, 
You know, maybe, that, that, but I mean, that's all it is. I, I understand it's a best of seven, but you're, you're in the Western, you're, you're, you're in the Eastern Conference Finals. Yeah. I these are valuable, valuable games. I mean, you, you weren't even supposed to, well, the Milwaukee was supposed to be there and you're playing a team that, that wasn't. And it's, you know, and not taking anything away from the Hawks, but I mean, they're banged up and, but they're still winning. They're still finding ways. Okay. Okay. All right. Other series, other series. Uh, we've got an O2 Clippers deficit. Ding, 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 ding. Just like the last two rounds, Brian. Just like the rest, last two rounds. Except, except digging yourself in a hole against this team, against the Suns, who I don't say that they're, you know, Hawks level. They are clearly you know, one of the best, if not the best team in the NBA. Uh, but just as far as, you know, the playoff drought that they had and, you know, just where the organization was all before this, they are also a team that is just, what's another word for dangerous? There's got to be another word for dangerous. Bring up a thesaurus. <laughs> like, they are, um, they're a weapon. They are collectively so in sync, so synergistic that I don't know if you can find a flaw. And that goes for being without Chris Paul. Look at what Devin Booker is doing. I know he didn't have the best game last, uh, you know, last uh, couple, a couple nights ago. I know he didn't have the best game. Uh, you look at game one and you say, oh, that was that was an all timer, uh, but what I love about Devin is Devin is becoming so patient, and he's become so trustworthy of his stuff. There's not there's not many guys in the league that are, you know, turning the corner the way he does. He's being guarded decently, all, all playoffs long. He's been guarded decently. It hasn't mattered. This guy is rising up over, over people with outstretched arms, contested shots, all from the right side of the nail, all from the left side of the nail, the middle uh, of the key. You know, all of these are like 15-footers, dude. And he's doing so much damage. You know, like Trey's got the floater. You know, Devin's just got that that midi. And it's deadly. It is deadly. Um, he's been doing a really good job, too, of drawing two. And when he's drawn to, uh, you know, he's looked at to, to pocket pass to DeAndre Ayton. He's looked to the corner for Mikel Bridges. He's looked to the elbow for Jay Crowder. He's doing such a good job of just being an all-around player. And this is somebody who's got the just a scorer label like two years ago. So this growth in his game is even more impressive. But this is the thing about this Suns team, different from that Hawks team, any guy could give it to you any day. Any day. You look up and down this roster. Look at the career high, career night in game two for campaign. And Brian, we could pull up clips of me talking about this from January. I'll pat myself on the back for this one. Campaign, I didn't see him doing 29 points and nine assists while filling in for Chris Paul in the playoffs. But I knew he was turning a corner. I knew he was looking like himself. I continuously harped about this son's bench 
And now he's been elevated into that, that starter role with Chris Paul hurt. Obviously, Chris Paul is going to be back tonight for game three. We're recording this on a Thursday. But campaign. I saw someone describe his game as he looks like he he's he's like his his elasticity is like a rubber band. Like it, he's just flinging all over the place because he's so quick. He has such an interesting form on his jump shot, but he's someone that's able to kind of wiggle his way under the bigs and like use these angles off the glass, take it hard to the rack. What a, what a player he has become and the confidence that he is playing with right now. He had tools, two steals and two blocks yesterday. How funny is that? It's not even, he's not even a big dude. He's like six, three, six, four. Look at Deandre Ayton. Once again, if you need a bucket in this postseason, get it to this guy in the paint. Please. It's all jump hooks, whether it's a short eight foot face up jumper. He'll clean up the offensive glass for you, as you saw in the game winner from Jay Crowder to DeAndre Ayton. A beautifully set up, by the way, alley-oop. My goodness, they call it the value there in Phoenix. But what a what a delivery from Jay Crowder in a game where he was not very effective on the offensive end, but coming up to be, make the biggest play of the night, put it perfectly on the money to DeAndre Ayton to slam that down. By the way, Paul George missed two free throws before that. Not going to want to talk about that, but we're going to have to. That's on the Clippers side. But I'm still going through the Suns here. Mikel Bridges. Best glue guy maybe in the playoffs. And he's still so young and still developing his game. Cam Johnson. Big, big minutes. And again, this is all without CP3. Devin Booker's the head of the snake. But I'm sorry to be rambling, but they're just so, so believing of themselves. And it's just, I, I'm don't, I'm not going to say I'm wrong. Cause I, you know, I had the Clippers and the Clippers have trailed Oh two in both series that they've played so far, but there's just this it factor about Phoenix right now. And then you, you know, company with the crowd, you accompany it with Devin Booker splitting his nose open after uh, Pat Bev uh, inadvertently headbutted it, bringing back memories to the Steve Nash manager, Nobly series. There's just a, a feeling that's just associated with this team right now. And I think the thing with the Suns too, is like, there's such a flexible roster in that so many guys can do so many different things that they can sit here and especially at defense, they can do switches all around. They don't necessarily rely on just one guy in offense. I mean, Booker is their offensive star. And we saw that in that game, one of that series where he put on a show. Um, but even when he's struggling, like in game two, and you know, his nose is a question mark on his face. I mean, this dude's going to be out there. He's still, he hit, you remember, you know, in the final minute, him and Paul George traded buckets. And even though Booker was having a tough game, he went out there, he hit the bucket. Paul they George did that in came game back. one too, by the way. Yeah, hit one as well. And then, you know, then you had the value where, you know, Booker set the screen, you know, and uh, on Zubats and he freed up eight. I mean, that, that was a perfect play in so many different ways because the pass from Jay Crowder, just the timing of the whole play, uh, Booker setting the screen, 
to watch Aiton roll off at just the right moment to the way that the Clippers botched it as well, including DeMarcus Cousins, not knowing where the, the hoop is apparently because if he stepped over one step to the right and actually like tried to get in the way of where the ball was going to go, like who cares if it goes on the perimeter? The guy hits a shot in the perimeter right in front of you, then you say you tip your hat and say you got it. The one thing you can't do is give up, you know, the ball going right to the rim. I mean, Crowder still had to make the pass, but if you're going to sit there and, and you're going to be in front of the guy inbounding the ball, like you got to step over there. You got to try to get in the way, but I mean, everything on that play went fantastically well for the Suns, and um, you know, they've just had so many different guys step in in so many different ways here in the playoffs. It was kind of this culmination of everything during the season, seeing it come together. We saw the potential and it's come together now. And, you know, I was wondering how well they're going to be without Chris Paul in these games, but obviously the Clippers are without Kawhi Leonard. And, you know, you've seen it so far that the Suns haven't missed a beat, really. Now they're getting Paul back. Kawhi is not coming back yet for uh, the Clippers, or at least in game three. So you have to see what's going to happen here. Honestly, even without Chris, though, I, I I looked at this and I was just like, okay, but what are the Clippers? Where are they going to get it from? Because not only do they not have Kawhi, but, you know, Morris is playing, but he is banged up. And I'm like, who else is going to be stepping up for them? And, you know, so far, I mean, Reggie Jackson's been the guy that that's really been big for them um, and playing out of his mind. Um, but now, you know, the series is going to shift to L.A., like you said, the Clippers fell behind the last series, 0-2. And we'll see what kind of adjustments that they make. The big adjustment they've made so far is they played big. And I don't know if that means they're going to continue to play big or they're going to go small or what are they going to do? Are they going to do anything differently? Or just hope like, hey, we, we can play better on our home four than we have and you know, try to get the next two. Well, it's a little different because you know, Rudy's not quite as nimble-footed as DeAndre Ayton. So that's why Nicholas Batum worked, right? Zubats, you know, had a, for all intents and purposes, had a pretty solid game, especially knowing how, you know, smallly he wasn't very effective in the second round. Um, this is definitely more of a series for him just because, right. of, you know, the, the size that he brings. Yeah, because he didn't even play in the last round, basically. Mm-hmm. They thought it was a bad matchup, you know, yeah. and one they can exploit. And now they're like, well, we got to play big. You know, we've got the size on, you know, on our side, so we'll play bigger. And, you know, he had a really good game, too. Yep, no question, no question. Um, but they're they're going to, you know, obviously have to lean on. You You ask where they're going to get it from while Kawhi's not there. They're going to have to lean on guys like Reggie Jackson and uh, Marcus Morris, you know. I don't think you can ask for it from Terrence Mann after what he did for you in essentially winning you a series. Um, you you know, have to ask I, it, bro, because you need more from your bench. Well, I think that Luke Kennard had a pretty solid game uh, and hit some very timely shots in that in that contest against the the Suns. Um, I mean, the Clippers could have had this game. I mean, I was you know when you were watching it, they could have had this game. Paul George was making some big shots down the stretch. He had had a very very tough first half, and then he started making some big ones. It wasn't the three pointers, like we said. We know he's been struggling from three, uh, but he's been putting his head down and getting to the rack, and that's exactly what he did. Uh, you had some timely shots from Marcus Morris, um, even yeah, though Morris he didn't have the great. 
he he yeah. you, you could tell that he's hurting out there. He, he's mm-hmm. trying to warrior through it. And it's tough when you got, I mean, there's always going to be little small injuries this time of the year, but when you've got, you know, one of your starters, one of your rotation guys that are banged up, that's tough uh, on top of already missing Kawhi. Yep. No question. No question. Uh, so I'm wondering, you know, Papev's out there for defense, obviously, and to, to frustrate book. And I thought he did a decent job. I don't think there was really any underhanded things that Pat did in the first two games. Um, you know, he made a huge play on Devin Booker at the end of the game. I know that the people weren't happy with the replay there, but by rule, once he, you know, swatted the ball out of Booker's hand and Booker continued to have it in his hand when it went out of bounds, it was the right call. And it was it would have been a huge play had Paul George been able to knock down those two free throws. Uh, very uncharacteristic night at the line for PG, by the way, too. Yeah. Uh, so very odd. But they could have come out. They, they could have came out uh, of that game uh, with a split series there. Now, oh, absolutely, they did not. They did not. Uh, so we'll see. You know, if they bring it back home, and, and and you know, this is how a series always goes, especially for these Clippers this year. Uh, you know, coming back home in front of the fans, you know, Reggie Jackson turning into an all-star, you know, Paul George, you know, remembering how to shoot like that happens when you get, when you get home, Terrence Mann feeds off of that crowd. I wouldn't be surprised to see him have a big game off the bench today, Thursday when we're recording this. Um, maybe we see more Rondo because I thought Rondo was pretty solid for them off the bench as well. By the way, can, can, I want to bring up this point too. In a fantastic job by the ESPN crew calling that game when it came to the value. So many people did not know that rule that you can the goaltend oh, yeah. above the above the rim. Like you could touch it. It's not goaltending because so many and the, you know what the weird thing I thought was too? It was pretty obvious after that play, and so many people were on the court and they had to clear them off because there's still time left. But one of the smartest guys in the NBA. Rajon Rondo did not know that rule. It was pretty obvious he did not know it because him and Booker were having a conversation about it. And Booker was explaining him. The one guy that was involved in the game that definitely knew about the rule, Monty Williams. Monty knew about that. And that, I mean, and thank God that the announcers did too. Like, uh, uh, you know, Jeff Van Gundy and Mark Jackson and even Mike Breen, they knew about that rule. Because so many other people did not. Because initially you're thinking, oh, that's goaltending. It's not goaltending because it's not a live ball until somebody touches it. You can touch it above the cylinder, you know, on an inbound. Um, so kudos to them for taking advantage of that. But um, it was just wild the way that, that that came down. And then, you know, afterwards, you know, Boogie Cousins, like shoving, De- you know, Booker. And now he got assessed a T, you know, after the fact and everything. So, I mean, there was... That's about as wild of a finish to a game as you will ever see and dramatic as well. Um, And the Clippers have to kind of overcome that emotion as well. You know, going back in the home four now, Oh two. And Monty credited Brett Brown, Joe Prunty. How about it for the, the, the play call Jay Triano did it with Tyson Chandler. um, Once before. And Tyson Chandler, if I remember right too, wasn't his above the cylinder and the one he did. It was because uh, that was, the rule that many people weren't, you know, aware of. 
Yeah. So mind that, you, I, I would, I love the rule in international basketball and I wish the NBA would adopt it that you could touch a ball on the cylinder and get rid of offensive basket interference. I mean, I get it. Goaltending totally for that when the ball is coming down, but once it touches the rim, I think you should be able to swat it. I argued. I honestly argued about that too. Um, in a past article and, um, I'll actually get there at the end of this because there's, you know, somebody that I need to shout out, but, uh, you know, those are the two that are going, I don't think that we should make any predictions. I don't think either of these series will be over by the time that we record next, next week. I'm going to just throw that out there. I don't think either of these are going to be a sweep or a five game series. Uh, which one do you think has a better chance of going five or less? Four or five or less four or five which one which one do you think has a better chance of being a quicker series hawks bucks i would say suns clippers i would not say that i think that you're gonna see because especially the first two games how close they were i just don't see a gap there I, like i don't see a huge gap there i guess yeah. now, by um, the way I, even, I, even though i talk about the selflessness of the suns like but yeah What's going on with Kawhi from the standpoint that when he got injured, there's so many different things when it came to reports about what's going on with him. Well, we know he has a knee injury and obviously he's still out. He's going to be out for game three, at least there was some reports that the team fears he has a torn ACL to where now it's just like, well, he has a sprained knee and there's even talk like with the Clippers are hoping to get him back. Now, I don't know if that's just like throwing out false hope, or if he really has a chance to come back, or does he really have a torn ACL? I have no freaking clue. I, w- I would like to think that the ACL thing was true. We'd know at least about that, but it's it's kind of up in the air exactly to the extent of this knee injury. And normally you wonder like it's kind of a game to game thing and maybe somebody's going to try to tough it out because you're in the playoffs and this far. But to have like this wide range of sprain where he might come back the next game to, does he have a torn ACL? That's kind of weird. It is. It's a little bit. Just a little bit. All right, Brian. So we sandwiched in between with the games that are going on now, the final four, what have you. So let's get into a little bit of the coaching news mentioned at the beginning of the podcast. Rick Carlisle. He's going back to the Indiana Pacers on a four-year, $29 million deal, according to ESPN's Tim McMahon. This will be the second stint he has with the Pacers as the head coach, the third as a part of the organization as an assistant um, before that. So this is this is kind of interesting. Um, I think I called this in the Slack channel because I, I said there were two teams that, that made sense for, for Rick to go to, and those are ones that are already built. Those are ones that are ready to be coached and have the talent to put themselves in position for a championship. It was Indiana and Milwaukee. Uh, How do you feel about the hire? I get it from a standpoint that the organization is familiar with Rick. They know Rick. um, And some of the other, I think they want something that's a little bit more certainty and somebody with a little bit more of a track record after what they went through this past year with uh, Nick Bjorken. So I, I get it from, from that standpoint. There were a lot of rumors of Carlisle having something lined up or else he wouldn't have left the Mavericks. And he had something lined up. You know, there, all the talk was like, is he going to go to Milwaukee if they get eliminated? 
And obviously they're still playing. And I wasn't a big fan of that. That rumor came true just because you're talking about replacing a guy that's, you know, still coaching a team that's still alive in the playoffs. But I, I mean, when it comes to his track record and being better for a more veteran team, I think it makes all the sense in the world. It did. I, I don't think it made as much sense to get a younger guy in there, I guess, just from where Indiana was thinking. Now, mind you, when we look at today's NBA, how much track record plays into this? I don't know. It, it feels a little bit different now because talent's always going to win out. How many times have we seen this now? I mean, there's exceptions to it, but like, you know, Steve Kerr coming in with the Warriors, you know, incredible amount of talent. Um, you know, Steve Nash going, you know, with the Nets, incredible amount of talent. They added even more during the season when it came to James Harden. So, I mean, those, maybe those are a little bit of outliers, but you can see guys that don't necessarily have a lot of experience come right in and be successful. The Pacers do have, you know, talent. Um, but I, I think they want a guy that had been around, somebody that players would respect and um, somebody that can kind of like immediately whip them in the shape, I guess. So it, it makes sense from, from that standpoint. Now, I guess you can question whether or not they should have had a longer search and who else they might have interviewed, but it seems pretty obvious. They had their eye on Rick, you know, and the second that the Mavericks were eliminated, um, or maybe even before then, they had put out feelers once they knew that they are going to be making a coaching change. And um, obviously it was reciprocal. You talk about whipping them into shape. At this point with the Pacers, they're in their third coach in three years. Uh, at some point, as Reggie Miller said, they're going to have to look at themselves in the mirror and say, what can we do better? And I think I went to this point as soon as the Nate McMillan news came out uh, around this time last year. Because uh, we talked to each other about it. And Nate should have never been let go. Um. They weren't a fan because he didn't have this, you know, sexy offense, but, you know, he was a very, you know, he wanted his team to be physical, defensive minded, um, you know, what have you. And then they're like, oh, we're so happy with Nate Bjorkren, like two weeks, two weeks, maybe it lasted two weeks, three weeks. And then they turn on him. Somewhere, at some point, these players are going to have to take ownership of what they're doing. Um, yeah, I'm just going to leave it at that. Like, you guys need, you guys are professional basketball players. Um, you have a ton of talent. And you need to be better than what you've been. This has got to be it from the standpoint that it's like, got to be. If, at least if with these guys can't handle it, we're, at this point, we're not making another coaching change. The change is going to come with the roster. That, that's where the change has to come at, at this point because they, they've done moves to adjust to the players' wants, I guess. And they they took a chance last year on Bjorkren, and it did not work out for whatever reason. You can put blame on every side available. They made the change very quickly. They said, one and done, let's let's do this now. Okay, if you that means you got to own it. You have to admit, we made a bad coaching hire. Made a bad one. It doesn't fit with our team. So now you've gone out and you made another one. You bring in a vet guy that you know what you're going to get from Rick Carlisle. And Rick can be very hard on guys, but you know what you got. 
and you're not making another change. Now, now it's on that roster of players to work around what Rick wants to do in his coaching style. If you can't trust a championship winning coach, then you got a problem. Right. And by the way, talking about Rick, and this is another coaching job because we have so many available right now in the NBA. Did you find it a little bit strange how Rick bent over like he was in the matrix to see if Jason Kidd could get the Mavericks job? Especially, especially because Jamal Mosley was like an assistant under him. And Jamal Mosley is a guy that is, like you said, an assistant with the Mavericks, somebody that a lot of people have a lot of respect for. Oh, and by the way, one of the guys that really has a lot of respect for him, it's a guy by the name of Luka Doncic, who's already on that team, kind of your star player. And, um, and I know that this is not an organizational thing. This is a Rick thing, but like Mosley's there. He's a younger guy. There's a lot of other guys or, or teams are on the league that you've had him on the radar as well. And he's probably going to get a coaching job and you're sitting there going, and then Rick just did a drive by on him today, man. It was like, Whoa. And it's nothing against Jason kid. And, and I know the organization knows Jason as well from his playing days. And Rick has a lot of respect for him and whatnot, but it was like, damn, can't you keep that one to yourself? Right. Exactly. No question. I, 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 I did not see that coming. I was just like, if, how do you feel if you're Jamal Mosley? Now, mind you, he might still get the job, but I'm like, I mean, for Rick to give a vote of confidence to somebody like that, um, We'll see what kind of effect that has. I just thought it was kind of strange. I mean, after the fact, would they hire somebody? Then if you want to comment, but like, especially, but when somebody that's on that staff that you were with and you don't praise them and you're praising somebody else on another team, that that doesn't seem right. He's a little bit of a bad taste in your mouth. Yeah. yeah. You're, you're leaving the door open for some harsh criticism. Agreed. Agreed. Um. Real quick, because I guess it's old news, but it's not really old news. It happened less than 24 hours ago. Uh, Ime Odoka going to the Celtics. And this is after, you know, seven years as a Spurs assistant. Before that, he was a Spurs player, as we know. Uh, He was an assistant with Brett Brown's Philadelphia 76ers. And then this year, he was with Steve Nash, Mike D'Antoni, and Amari Stoudemire on the Brooklyn Nets staff. So Ime Odoka... Uh, finally gets a job, and uh, he's somebody that has been strongly endorsed uh, for quite some time now, similar to Jamal Mosley. Um, but Udoka, probably going to be your player's coach, but I, I did see uh, a couple players say that he can get into you, which I'm interested in. I'm interested to see how this works, uh, to have a new voice in this locker room, uh, you know, Brad Stevens, you know, not really rolling the dice here. I think this is a good, hi- good hire. He didn't have to go after a quote unquote sexy name. Uh, I like the the decision made. I, I think that it's going to be a positive influence on Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown uh, and, and whoever else is in that locker room, um, especially someone from the pop tree. Another one, another one, Brian, there's, there's, I mean, I feel like it's a million at this point, but uh, you know, Ime Odoka finally gets to get in the big chair here. It's nice that he's getting an opportunity. I wasn't sure if he was going to get it here because I, I really thought they were going to go with Chauncey Billups, but it makes a lot of sense in that he's made his way around. He's paid his dues. Um, I think he's pretty well respected by everybody as well. Um, 
And the hope is they can connect with those guys in the locker room. I mean, the Celtics are not taking a lot of time to make decisions here. I mean, how busy has their offseason been already from like, we're still playing in the NBA playoffs. This is a franchise that has said, um, the guy that's been running our front office for the last decade and a half is out. Uh, we're replacing him with the coach who has no experience in that position. And by the way, we're, that coach hires another first-year head coach. Oh, and by the way, we did another thing that was really weird for this time of year, and that we traded our starting point guard to get off that salary, and we gave up a first-round pick to bring back a guy that was on our team before, now Horford. It's it's a locker room thing, man. I don't know. I don't know, but... Uh... It's definitely a locker room. I mean, there, there was hurt feelings. I think both the Celtics and Kemba needed this break. There, there were problems on both sides of this. There really were. I mean, you know, the more you start peeling that onion on this one, you could tell that there were there were issues on both sides, and um, they needed the break. And maybe it's better that it happened now than than later. I'm sure that we'll get into this uh, in more detail uh, as you know the weeks pass and we get closer and closer and closer to the finals, and then the off season. Um, but I don't think the Campbell Walker is going to stay in OKC like. Uh, you know, Chris Paul did and, you know, like, like Al Horford did. He might have to um, be there for a little while though, to prove he's healthy. He, he might, he might. Um, I don't, I don't know if Sam he's Presti gonna... wouldn't be in any rush. And something yeah. that my buddies brought up too, it, it seems that Sam Presti likes to keep a, a veteran around somewhere around the age of, you know, 29, 30, 31 to, you know, kind of guide these guys. And yeah, it, it's an interesting strategy. Cause if you think about who these guys, uh, they're picking the brains of, um, it's a smart strategy just because, you know, those guys have experience. They, they've been there, done that. Um, Kemba is extremely likable guy. Um, a very, very talented guy when he's healthy. Um, and I don't think he's going to demand. It's more about the, it, it's about, it's about the influence and yeah, it's about, I, yeah. I don't think he's going to demand playing for a winner immediately too. And I, I think it's a smart thing from a standpoint, like, Hey, we will work with you when the time comes that we want to do a trade in the meantime. Here's your role for us. It's like Chris Paul. You're going to be the veteran guy. You can be the leader on the court to some extent. And we want to make sure you're healthy and you can rehab your value. And then if a trade makes sense and we will work with you on where it is, I think it'll be like the Chris Paul situation. They're not going to send them somewhere, whether it's during the next season or, you know, after next season, I don't think they're going to send him to a place where he's not going to be happy. They'll work with him on that. You know, when, when, and if that time comes. Agreed. Agreed. By the way, so we've got other coaching jobs available. Uh, the Blazers, the Magic, the Pelicans. There's a lot of names being thrown out there. Mm -hmm. Give me your predictions for those three. Ooh, that's tough. Okay. Uh, to me, the Pelicans one is probably the most difficult. But The Pelicans, I feel like Fred Vinston could be a name there. Mm -hmm. Um. Who this isn't, this so isn't sourced. This isn't sourced at anything, but yeah, um, I feel like that could be definitely a um, an option there. Someone who really did a good job in you know fixing Lonzo Ball's shot. Um, Do we know who they've interviewed so far? I'm not exactly sure. I'm pretty sure they interviewed Udoka. They interviewed Jacques Vaughn. They interviewed uh, Charles Lee. I know that. Okay. Um, I believe they interviewed Teresa Witherspoon. Mm -hmm. Um, 
And that's a, that's another one. But it sounded like in his press conference that Griff wasn't really, um, you know, running with with Teresa as a head coaching candidate. Though I think that she sure sure as hell could be. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we will see. We will see what happens there. But it, is D'Antoni under consideration there? I'm losing track of where. God, I hope I hope not. Oh my gosh! All the stuff that Stan tried to do to fix that defense, and then you're gonna teach him to be up pace and all that stuff the next year. Fun young team, man. We're going to show you how to score. Come on. Too too many voices, man. Too many voices. This is just Zion's going to be honest. Third freaking coach. Um, And, you know, that's just uh, a shame. But so you have the Pelicans. Yeah, I'll just. ah, You know, I'm changing my mind. I'll say I'll say Jock Vaughn. No, we'll, we'll just go with Jock Vaughn there. Okay. As for the magic. I have an idea for the magic. That strikes me as a Vanterpool opportunity. Uh, even though I've been begging for the Blazers to do that. I um, think that's going to be Kenny Atkinson. Oh, I like that. I like that a lot. I think that's going to be Kenny because Kenny's been part of a rebuild. He can sure work has. with younger guys. And when they get better, they can, you know, kick into the curb like the Nets. I'm kidding. Damn, um, I'm a t- I was going to say, man, shoot. I, you know, we, we named these two right here. Steve Nash is going to have to fill out his coaching staff because he's losing assistance left and right. e if Jock gets hired, if, it, right. you know. Like, hey. And, and it, then you, you have Kenny, uh, the, that, that Lou would have to fill his staff. Right. I mean, there's still talk that, like, um, Penny Hardaway might interview for that job in Orlando. But Kenny makes a lot of sense, and I, I think they're going to talk to him. Jason um, Kidd's linked to every job known to man. He can have the Mavericks job, I guess. I don't know. But, I mean, the, the Blazers, I think that's a Chauncey Billups fit. I know that Becky Hammond might get that gig, which would be great, too. Uh, I would love I think, to see Becky get it, but I want her to succeed, Pop. I think that is the correct thing to do. Me, me too. And then, you know what? It's funny because... You know, in our Slack over like the last month, we, we had these days where craziness is going on. There's so much going on in the NBA, like when it comes to like a trade or coaching moves or blah, blah, blah. And people keep wondering like, what could be next? What could be next? And I kind of wonder, I don't think it's going to happen, but I've, I've wondered in the back of my mind, like how long until Pop says I'm stepping down? And I, I don't think it's necessarily going to have this off season, but I wouldn't be shocked if it did. And, um... I, you know, he's obviously involved in the Olympic team and everything, but I, I do wonder if that's that's a possibility or, you know, would he actually go to management and say, hey, Becky is who I think should get it. Um, this is when I'm going to be stepping down, um, you know, kind of putting that timeline in there. But in the meantime, I mean, she's going to interview for jobs because who knows what's going on with the Spurs behind the scenes and, and what they're going to be doing there. But she should at least um, – get the experience of, of interviewing for jobs, just like some of these other people too. So, I mean, that, I, I, I think that there's some, I think the Blazers have some good choices there, but I think when it's all said and done, I, I think that's going to be a Chauncey fit. Okay. Yeah. And, and, you know, I, I'd probably have to agree with you. Uh, I don't think Dan Tony is the right pick there. Yeah. They're interviewing uh, him as well. Did you hear though that like, uh, so these zoom calls are doing that Dame is sitting in on them. Well, you know, he should. After so many years, I think that that's not overly 
overarching. You know, like I don't no, think that I mean, that's a big deal. That's like, one I think of those that, like we want to appease our star guy, and if that means he's going to sit in on a Zoom call to figure out who the coach is going to be, and so be it. Because I mean, right? He's not going to hold anyone hostage, dude. Yeah, like all you know, signs like, are pointing like he's not. He's not going to demand a trade, but at the same time, it doesn't mean as an organization you don't try to give special perks to your star player just to make sure that they're happy. Right. No, exactly. Exactly. Well, I think that should do it, Brian. Oh, we, we almost forgot you, one other guy that wants to be the head coach of the Pelicans, uh, Master P. So, um, oh, no, see, this is the <laughs> that's the note we're going to edit on with Master P. Master P. I had to slide that in there before you, uh, oh, you uh, exited. Oh, Lord. Good times. Good he was times, in WCW maybe. back in the day, if anybody doesn't know, likes wrestling. <laughs> was he really? Yes, he was. Dang, they did a man. they did a rap versus country storyline in WCW, and Master P was a part of it. Jeez, see, I'm, I'm see, I'm more of the uh, the era where I know who Romeo is more than Master P. That storyline, <laughs> including Mister Perfect, who is going by his real name, Kurt Henning, singing a song with others, part of the West Texas Rednecks, and they sang the song "Rap Is Crap." See, this is just me and Brian going back to our between the ropes days now. But I think that's going to do it for us here on Keeping It 94, talking about basketball as a part of the basketballnews.com podcast network. Got 10 other great podcasts for you to listen to. Make sure you go like, review, comment, subscribe, all that good stuff. Apple, Stitcher, Spotify, anywhere you listen to podcasts. You got the Rex Chapman Show. You've got Neat and Unfiltered, The Posecast. Dishes and Dimes, The Rematch, the, the Dunker Spot, the Alex Kennedy Podcast, The Sheridan Show, and the follow-through with Clips and Drew. Special one, NBA Top Shot Weekly. That is also Alex Kennedy and Oliver Maroney. Again, make sure to like, subscribe, rate, review, all that good stuff. Do the same for us because uh, we're just talking heads at this point, uh, but in a good way. We're not screaming at you, and we're not overly... What's the word I'm looking for? We're not in your face. We're not screaming at you. Exactly. We are not a, We are not too over overtaking. We are very nuanced in our discussions, and that's why sometimes it does lead to rants if you listen to some pad, pad, past podcasts of ours. So, uh, yeah, like, review, rate, subscribe, all of that. Make sure to visit our mock draft, basketballnews.com slash draft once again. One through 60, all picked out by our own Matt Babcock and Derek Murray, who have put together such a good page for us. Uh, you click on names, there's analysis and all that stuff. Uh, they are currently at the NBA Combine covering it for our website right now. So very, very grateful for them because they are providing bar none the best coverage that you can get in basketball. So with that said, I am on Twitter at Spin Davies. He is on Twitter at Brian Fritz. I am on Instagram at Spin Davies. He is on Instagram at It's Brian Fritz. That's all you need to know. By this time next week, hopefully both conference finals are still going as predicted. If not, then I'll just look dumb. And that's okay. But we'll have combine interviews. 
We'll have some more really good stuff on social media. Make sure to follow us at Basketball News without the A. Basketball News, I guess, is what you would pronounce it. Uh, Instagram, we are at Basketball News as well. So please give us a follow on those platforms. And until next episode, we bid you adieu. Thank you.